This is Your Morning Basket, where we help you bring truth, goodness, and beauty to your homeschool day. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 81 of the Your Morning Basket podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and I'm so happy that you are joining me here today. Well, in today's episode of the podcast, I am joined by my very good friend, Colleen Kessler. Colleen is a mom of four twice exceptional kiddos, and she is also a gifted specialist. And today on the podcast, she's coming to talk to us all about Morning Basket with gifted kids. Now, on this episode, we talk about the benefits of doing a morning basket with your gifted kiddos. What can you gain from this? And then we also talk about some of the unique challenges that might come up from either having a gifted kid in your morning basket with the rest of your family or doing a morning basket with a whole gifted family, as happens a lot of times. So, buckle your seatbelt. It's a really fun conversation and we'll get on with it right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Your Morning Basket Plus. Okay, I'm so excited, guys. New in the Your Morning Basket Plus subscription is our Morning Basket Explorers Club. Now, this club features our brand new Morning Basket Explorations Kits. Each month, we present a new themed set of explorations on kid favorite themes. So coming up in the next year, each month we will be exploring a new theme, themes like flowers, apples, the farm, gratitude, Christmas around the world, Arctic animals, George Washington Carver, who is a favorite Alabama son, the solar system, the holy land, gardening, the flag, and sharks. And oh boy, we are just getting started. We have so many other ideas. So each month, we will put out an exploration guide uh, for moms to set up these explorations. And these will include a do-it section of things to do during your morning time, a strew-it section with ideas to strew for your kids that they can explore on their own, a further exploration section with ideas that your family can do outside of morning time, like something you can do in the kitchen or a field trip. We're also going to have level up ideas that are going to help you bring your older uh, students, your middle school students into the exploration with the rest of the family. It's going to be age appropriate for them. Now, the guides also feature memorization and music to go with each theme. And we're going to include MP3 audios of the memory work and the songs. So just to make it super easy for your family to memorize or sing along. But the Explorers Club doesn't stop with the guides. Each month, we're also going to have two live events with your favorite morning time teachers that go along with these explorations. And if you can't make it to the events live, you're going to have access to the replays. Plus, your family is going to be able to submit your findings and activities at the end of each month and receive a special tracking form and monthly stickers in the mail to document your family's journey as Morning Basket Explorers. Your kids are going to love this. It's going to be so much fun. 
We're so excited about this new journey we get to share with your family. The Explorers Club is part of the Your Morning Basket Plus subscription, along with the 40, over 40 sets of done for you morning time plans that are also in the subscription. So you can join today and get more information by heading to pambarnhill.com slash subscriptions for monthly and annual options. We cannot wait to see you there. And now on with the podcast. Kessler is an author, speaker, and educational consultant with a master's degree in gifted education. She is a passionate advocate for the needs of differently wired kids and their parents, and she's also a homeschool mom of four gifted, twice exceptional kids of her own. Colleen is the founder of the popular podcast and website, Raising Lifelong Learners and Raising Poppies, a community of support for parents of differently wired kids on Facebook. She has authored more than a dozen books like Raising Creative Kids, a collection of creativity prompts for children, and her soon-to-be-released Raising Resilient Sons, a boy mom's guide to building a strong, confident, and emotionally intelligent family. Colleen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Pam. It's great to be here. Okay, so I read all of that like I have no idea who you are, but we have to tell everybody you and I are like besties. <laughs> yes, I love you so much. <laughs> I love you too. Everybody's at home going like, oh my gosh, what a love fest. But no, <laughs> Colleen and I know each other very, very well. Uh, what did Facebook tell us the other day? We'd been friends for six years. Yeah, we've been Facebook friends for six years. It was our friend anniversary, Pamela and Colleen Day. It was so lovely. <laughs> they stick us in the canoe like you and I would ever be in a canoe. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, but we've been friends for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So probably a little over six years. Um, and we met at a blogging conference and then we've just been friends for a number of years. And now we go on the road and speak together at the great homeschool conventions uh, when they have them. Right. <laughs> when there's no pandemic. And there's no pandemic. And uh, <laughs> we just have a lot of fun doing that together. So um, yes, Colleen and I go way back. And it wasn't all that long ago that you and I were chatting on the phone and I said, you know what, we're planning a new podcast season and we have never talked about morning time with gifted and twice exceptional children. Yes. And we've been friends for long enough that you should have. That should have been on your radar. Okay. I'm (laughs) feeling really bad now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, you know, sometimes we have to save the best for last. There you go. (laughs) All right. So for the people who don't know you, can you tell uh, the listeners a little bit about yourself and about your family? Yes. Um, Okay. So I'm Colleen Kessler. I write over at Raising Lifelong Learners, and I have a podcast by the same name Um, going into, I think I'm approaching the end of my second year. So I'm getting cl- I'm about a year and a half in. That's been a lot of fun. Pam was kind of my kick in the pants to get on, uh, on air and it's been a, a blast. Um, I've homeschooled. I actually am kind of a reluctant homeschooler originally. I came into it kicking and screaming. So my background, um, as Pam said, I have a master's degree in gifted education and I taught for a little bit over a decade. Um, mostly elementary kids who were gifted and or twice exceptional, which I know we'll talk about in a little bit. 
And I left teaching originally to write full-time. I was writing uh, books for teachers, books for kids, and I left to do that um, so I could be home with my kids and, you know, get them off the bus after school and make, you know, brownies and things. And then my oldest entered school and it was just not a good fit. Um, the whole idea of like the shoemaker's kids going shoeless, I had this master's degree in gifted education and I did not recognize at the time that my oldest was profoundly gifted. I recognized the behaviors that were happening in the classroom um, and from all the calls that I was getting that he was falling out of his chair, distracting everybody, pushing the envelope, correcting the teacher, and just generally being kind of a disruption in class. So we sought all sorts of help, um, including a psychologist who at one point looked at me after all of the testing and said, you do realize that he is profoundly gifted, right? And I hadn't. I had just been focused on getting him to comply. And so my education finally caught up with me, and we started looking at what we could do to meet his intellectual needs because we knew, at the, we knew then that um, once we met those, his behaviors theoretically should kind of come back in check. But the district that we were in at the time did not start gifted programming until third grade with no exceptions. And then they said it would be doubtful he'd be eligible anyway because he's such a disruption to class that he needed to be better behaved before he could even be considered for the programs. So um, under duress and kind of kicking and screaming, I uh, freelancer at home figuring out how to build my own business, brought my son home at the same time that I had a nursing baby and a toddler. And we just got thrown into homeschooling and figured it out from there. I now have four kids. Um, all of them are somewhere along the gifted spectrum. If you talk to them for any length of time, you kind of get that picture right away. They just think a little bit differently than most people their age and around them. Um, but they all have other quirks along with them. Some are just very um, highly intelligent and pretty organized and easy to get along with. And then there's a couple who are very quirky in their own way. And so um, I started writing about what we were doing at home. And because I was writing from the perspective of a gifted educator and a parent of gifted kids, it kind of resonated with other people who had fallen into the same kind of I don't know, adventure as I did. And so that's where we are now. My oldest, that first grader I pulled out reluctantly, is a rising senior and uh, 17 and a half. He's building his own freelance business and he's going to be starting college classes in the fall and basically taking his freshman year of college concurrently with his senior year of high school. So that's where we're at now. Okay, this is so funny to me because knowing your oldest as well as I do now, I'm like, how did you not? I can see this. How did you not see this? I don't know. I don't know. You know that thing though, but when you're in the midst of it with your own kids, like you see the problems, right? You're trying to fix them. Yeah. And just the way that he thinks, I mean, it is obvious when you talk to him for any length of time, it is very obvious he thinks differently. But that's all I was used to. He was my first and I was teaching gifted and had been teaching gifted. So those were the kids I worked with. That's the only thing I can think of. I was just so used to working with those kinds of brains that it was just natural that he would have that kind of brain. Well, I think this is one of the things that makes you such a great advocate for parents of gifted kids is you are having been in that place, you know what it's like when when the school or somebody else comes and tells you, 
this child is a problem. This child is different. We have a challenge here. And your immediate response is, let's get this fixed Mm -hmm. so that this child can do what he needs to do in the classroom, not realizing, you know, like you immediately go to the fix. And so I, and I think all parents do that. They immediately go to the fix when really what they need to do is advocate for their child. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, it's so, you know, that you, you can empathize. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I can validate their feelings. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, and, and totally understand what those parents are going through. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's just back up for just a little bit for those people who uh, maybe aren't aware what is gifted and twice exceptional? And those are two different terms. I realize that. So can you right. tell me just in a briefly what yeah. those mean and kind of what's the difference between the two? Yeah. Um, so a gifted child clinically is um, a child who, if we were to administer an IQ test, would fall two standard deviations above average. And just to put that into perspective for listeners who might not be familiar with the terms, when we're talking about students who have learning disabilities or um, challenges with learning, they tend to fall to standard deviations or more below the national average. So um, gifted kids are equally discrepant from average kiddos intellectually as the same kids who are getting special education in the classroom. They're just on the opposite end of it where learning comes a little bit more quickly or they're understanding complex issues and topics in Um, At an earlier age, they need fewer repetitions um, historically to get something, whereas most kids need like four or five repetitions. And kids who have special needs need maybe like 10 to 20 repetitions. A gifted kid needs one, maybe two. And um, so they're starting to turn off and get bored because things that they've already mastered are being presented again and again and again, perhaps like in a spiral format or or other formats like that. Um, That said, not all giftedness shows with academic subjects, math, reading, language arts, uh, writing, whatever, um, because it's a way of thinking. Uh, just like a kid with special needs sees the world differently and is can do some things more easily than others, a gifted kid is the same. So their, um, I don't know, intelligence may show up more in creativity or Uh, like cognitive functions and overall like perspective of how the world works um, as opposed to a straight academic area. So there's a lot of nuances in it, but clinically it's an IQ score. Um, Anecdotally, it's a way of thinking and being. They develop in an asynchronous fashion where they're kind of like many ages at once. They might be behaviorally very young, academically, you know, right on grade level. And then, um, cognitively where they're having conversations way higher. So they're kind of all over the place. And then um, twice exceptional kids are kids who are gifted and also have an underlying or an additional or comorbid, as psychologists call it, challenge to go along with it. Um, I love Diane Craft. It's a speaker I, I saw years ago and I've met a few times. Um, and she talks about it as gifted with a glitch. There's something else going on and it's usually psychological or neurological, or academic, or intellectual, or sometimes even physical. So a kid who is twice exceptional might be gifted and have clinical anxiety, or ADHD, or a learning disability. One of my kids um, has dyslexia, sensory processing disorder, and generalized anxiety disorder, but she's very creatively gifted. And when you talk to her, 
for a while and let her go down her rabbit trails of storytelling. It's not a typical 9, 10, 11-year-old kind of stories that she's telling. She can't get it on paper. She's way behind in her reading and her writing. Her math's right on grade level. Um, her conversations are above grade level. So they're kind of twice exceptional kids are even more all over the place than gifted kids are, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And, you know, I think so uh, sometimes parents feel like, oh, my kid's gifted. I've hit the jackpot. But we're not talking about kids who are uh, necessarily academic achievers here. That's usually a different kind of kid. (laughs) It's usually like a firstborn academic achiever or even a secondborn academic achiever. But uh, Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily what giftedness means. Right. And that's actually one of the biggest myths or misconceptions. And, um, and yeah, there's uh, my professor in school. Um, and I don't know when this is going to air, but if it airs, uh, after we'll have to give you a link. I just had this conversation with him for a podcast episode that's coming up, but there's kind of like an optimal range of giftedness, right? It's just enough past that IQ cutoff where they still get along with and understand everybody in the general population and think, kind of normally, um, but they get things super easily. And even that is a little bit different because they don't need the repetitions, whereas like an academic achiever, someone who is very smart, maybe just before the cutoff, very high IQ, but not quite in the gifted range, they get things easily. They understand the best description I ever saw of it was um, an academic achiever asks what and how, and a gifted kid asks why and what next. So they're looking for more, whereas the achiever just wants the answer and wants to know how to get to the answer so they can get it right and move on to the next thing. A gifted kid may never want to move on to the next thing. They might want to perseverate on every nuance of that one topic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a great description. Great description. Okay. So now that we know uh, we've got a great baseline definition of what a gifted kid is and then twice exceptional let's talk about morning time and, and we're going to really dig into, cause I know you're going to have a lot of kind of adjustments that need to be made to the standard morning time and where gifted and twice exceptional kids are going to struggle, but let's start with the benefits. So what are some of the benefits of having a gifted and twice exceptional kid in a morning time setting where the entire family is coming together, learning together uh, for at least a brief period of time each day? I think the biggest benefit is there's an anchoring for them. A lot of times our gifted kids struggle with anxiety. And so we want to give them a really safe, strong base. And so coming together as a family and doing those beautiful and uh, engaging, enlightening kind of like artistic things, if we're talking about the things that we can do with all of our kids at various levels, you know, we can do picture study, artist study. We can read books and read alouds together. We can do, you know, um, nature study. We could do all those kinds of things that everybody is going to come up with a different product based on the same prompt, but it gives them that space of anchoring and that sense of belonging. I think that one of the hardest things that kids, especially with anxiety or differences face is that feeling of there's nobody else like them. And so it gives them a place to always be every day a part of others who have the same values and the same feelings and they're on this team together. And so I think that that's the biggest benefit is it just gives them that safe port and structure to build their day off of. Okay. Yeah. I love that. And I could totally, totally see that. Um, 
I was hoping you would give me more than one before we jumped off into the we challenge. Can, I can do stuff. more. You want more? Yeah, give me a couple more. Okay. I, I know the challenges are going to stack up. And so, yeah. you know, we want to, you know. Yeah, there are, there are challenges. Okay. So the other thing is, um, another big one is gifted kids, and this is going to fall into the challenges, but they, they tend to hyper-focus on their own interests and they can go down rabbit trails and they can be really sunk into a topic and that's great because they get to be experts in something, but oftentimes they're hard to push out of the things they want to do and like to do. So this gives you a chance to really introduce them to a lot of different things so that they can pick their passions or find their strengths and interests. It also gives you, the parent, um, a touch point so you can figure out what they're getting interested in. You can watch them if you're doing so say they're, say they're doing, okay, so there's, we've got some mutual friends, you know, we've got Cindy West who does nature study mm-hmm. and um, Nana and Trish who do chalk pastel art, but people who do something like that, that really can, can spread. So let's use Cindy, for example, we just recently did um, a nature study with all of my kids, except my oldest. So sometimes those teens are going to be outliers where yeah. you can't pull them in once At they get to 17 and a point. half, probably so. Yeah. yeah. Not getting so, them to the table for nature study. Exactly. And then you shouldn't. He's got other things. But so we're sitting down and the, you know, the seven-year-old is, is just focusing on the animal and he's talking about it and his, his drawing is very rough and he's done in two seconds. Whereas my um, my oldest is is drawing very intricate designs and she's getting into it and she's got um, the Chromebook next to her and she's finding other examples um, or other facts to go along with it because it's not enough to just write those few things that we were talking about in a general form. Um, and she doesn't do that very often. So I'm noticing that something piqued her interest about this particular topic so I can revisit it later. Whereas like the middle one of those bottom three is starting to show me perfectionism that I haven't seen before. She's now ripped up three different pages because mm-hmm. the rabbit in the burrow doesn't look like the rabbit in the burrow on the page or that her sister's making. And so she's getting in her own head. So I can see that and address that later while encouraging on the spot to just keep going and you know whatever I'm going to do on the spot. But I can file those things away. When you and I are on the road speaking, I talk often about kind of keeping a notebook or jotting mental notes. Um, I, I talk about physical notes. Keep a journal that has a, a page for each of your kids and jot down some of those things so you can go back to them um, because their brains are so quirky and you never know what's going to either set them off or light them up. This gives you a great place to an opportunity to see something that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. And right there in the moment while you're sitting there with them, jot down that note to revisit later or remind yourself when you're at the library or in a bookstore and you see something to pick it up because it might be something that can um, fuel a different interest later. Or you can pull that into your next morning time like, hey, I was really interested in this. Maybe you were too when we watched that that nature study video. So why don't we try um, reading this poem that kind of ties into it? It gives you a chance to pull other things in give them other opportunities for learning. Notice where those sticking points are so you can really focus on those one-on-one later and then give them chances to either move on from a topic that they're clearly not interested in or dive deeper into something. Does okay. that help? Yes, 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 yes. I love it. Okay, so we have anchor point in the day, which is right. so important. We have, you know, take a kid who 
might normally hyper-focus on something and spread. You know, we're just going to go all Charlotte Mason on you guys for a minute. We're going to spread this <laughs> wide feast of ideas yes. because if they're never exposed to this thing, you know, we don't know what they're going to hyper-focus on next, you know? And I think me as a person myself, I can get so involved in one thing. I don't necessarily look at other things. And so I could totally see how this would work for any child and a gifted child, especially. And then also it gives you the opportunity to observe as the parent and see where the perfectionism or other things might be rearing their heads, what interests they might have and how you can then further guide things. So I love it. Okay. Let's start talking about some of those challenges because um, even if you only, you know, Colleen's dealing with like four gifted kids, even if you're dealing with, you know, maybe three neurotypical kids and one gifted kid, I have a feeling that there are points of morning time and families learning together where there are going to be like issues and sticking points. So let's talk a little bit about those unique challenges mm-hmm. that moms of gifted kids might face with this kind of learning situation. Yeah, there's so first, it's just the kind of catchphrase and people ask all the time, you know, what you asked in the beginning, what's a gifted kid? And there are lots of general characteristics, but the truth of the matter is if you've met one gifted kid, you've met one gifted kid. They are as different from one another as they are from the neurotypical population because the way that their brains work is they are, they're thinking qualitatively differently about their world, but something's going to pique their interest that might not be an age typical or a peer typical thing. And they've got no use for everybody else around them who doesn't find interest in that, or they're going to tell you about it, even if you don't want to hear it. And so they, they dominate conversations. They, um, they think that what you're trying to get them to do is stupid. And they're very verbal about letting you know that, uh, we've got kids who have um, overexcitabilities, which I can share with you some articles if people want to read more about that, because that's a whole other podcast episode. Um, but if they're if they have a, an overexcitability that keeps them moving all the time, that kind of looks like ADHD or has true ADHD, they're on the, the table and under it and walking around and getting seventy two drinks of water, and they're not sitting still. And then they're poking their sister because you know, their sister's there and someone else is making noises and that's hurting the ears of someone who's sensitive. And so you've got all these weird things that can be happening and you're just ready to be done because it's easier. It's way easier. Moms of gifted kids don't feel badly if you think this all the time is way easier to let them go off on their own and focus on their own projects and work with them individually. It's beneficial to have your kids be together um, because they have that sense of teamwork and, um, and family like cohesiveness that they need again, back to that anchor point, but it is really easy and peaceful to send them off in their own direction. And so the biggest challenge really is making yourself do it because it's hard. Okay, uh, so let me just ask, is it worth it? Is it worth it to set aside just even just a few minutes a day? Is it worth it? I think so, absolutely, because you, you're building memories and you're building shared stories. And, and yeah, it's, it's beneficial for them to have that. I tell my kids often. Um, so we don't, we do, uh, we get together and we do things like, um, nature studies and we do things together, but we do ours whenever we do things together. We don't do it now, especially with a 17, almost 13 
almost 11 and seven, um, because of the nature of my kids' quirks, we, we don't do whole group, multiple subjects or multiple activities or topics, but we are coming back together periodically throughout the day so that we have those shared stories. We eat all of our meals together. And while we're eating meals together, we're talking about what we're doing and kind of bringing in elements of a morning time situation into that. And so I tell my kids, you've got these shared stories. We're going to be gone one day and you're going to be you know, sitting around Christmas with aunts and uncles and cousins and your kids with their cousins. And you're going to be remembering these these times together, right, where we played this game or, or built this puzzle or watched this um, video together. And you're going to have that history. Um, and, and they already do, because when they were younger and we were really kind of first diving into it, we did a lot of stuff together. And my kids, uh, we started every day with Bible study. And back then we were using grapevine Bible study because the mm-hmm. stick figures yep. were really stick easy figures, for everybody. Yeah. Um, and we did every day, the way I got them to the table, you sing a song. I got them to the table with uh, hot cocoa and graham crackers. And it was in between breakfast and lunch. So it was like around 10 o'clock in the morning. And we would come together, we would do our grapevine study and have hot cocoa and graham crackers. And then they would do some of their table work. We'd do some artist study or music study. And then the bigger ones would start to kind of go off. And I'd do more with the little kids because they were still strapped in and it was peaceful that way. But they remember that and they talk about that. And every once in a while, they'll be like, well, could we have hot cocoa and graham crackers and do something together? So it gives them, it's worth it because you're giving them shared stories and um, touch points with each other. And isn't one of the reasons we homeschool, right, to bring our families together? I, I think about the, my friends who stayed the course of public schooling that, you know, after we pulled out and their kids while they're siblings and have relationships together, they wouldn't choose to be together above being with their friends. Whereas right. sometimes my kids do. Right. Sometimes they choose to get off the the Roblox with their friends or, you know, Animal Crossing where they're talking to each other and, and a friend uh, from down the road. And they'll choose to get off of that and go be with each other and do something. And so you're building those opportunities for them. Um, But then beyond that, like we said, you're exposing them to different things. You're learning where their struggles are. I know that my one kiddo is going to have trouble test taking because she breaks down when we're focused on something that has weight. And I can watch her and I can give her strategies and little baby steps to do some of that in a morning time situation because it's fun. We're, we're all together. We're all trying something new. And so you can give them opportunities and experiences with things that might be a little bit challenging later on. Yeah, that was kind of my next question is, can you kind of use morning time as a training ground for, you know, let's think about conversation. And a lot of times gifted kids want to dominate the conversation or they want to tell you how dumb they think this is. Is it possible to use morning time as a training ground for, you know, what's appropriate and what's not appropriate? Absolutely. And um, so, uh, so true story. We, we were asked years ago, I know this won't shock you because you do know my oldest, but we were asked not to come back to the Natural History Museum classes for a year because um, my son was very into science when he was young. And so our first couple of years of homeschooling, since we didn't know what the heck we were doing, we did a lot of science. And so we went to these, these museum classes and those 
poor volunteers who were teaching the classes oftentimes made mistakes. And my son told them what they were saying wrong about the different topics because he really wanted to launch into a discussion about the nuances of it. And they just wanted to get on with the lesson plans. And so he would become a disruption. And, um, and so we were asked after a couple times of this happening to come back when he was ready to sit still and, and listen and raise his hand and not be called on when, you know, it, when it wasn't time to get into that. And so remind we were me, able remind me okay. to tell him the next time I see him about <laughs> me being kicked out of Sunday school when I was in 10th grade for the exact <laughs> same for that too. <laughs> <laughs> so I can totally feel his pain. <laughs> yeah, it was. And I was, was much that, older than he was. <laughs> that was an interesting time in our life, but pulling together all of us to, you know, all of us at the table doing things I was able to model for him when it was okay to share your opinion, how to do it constructively, because his younger siblings did not know as much as he did about certain topics. And he reacted to them in the same way he did to these other teachers. And so I was able to, in a really safe way, help him understand how and when to do those things. Um, so it gives you those opportunities. And then from a practical standpoint, if we're dealing with kids who have sensory processing disorder or anxiety disorder, other big challenges, it gives us opportunities to help them develop the tools to cope when they're outside of our home. My uh, 10-year-old who has anxiety, she she draws to kind of step away from the big feelings when she's having them. And we were able to use, so that strategy was taught to her in morning time mm -hmm. because we did, uh, we, we read a book about feelings and drew what colors were in those feelings and what um, they looked like and things like that. And she was able to, that, I used that to teach a strategy, but it was really kind of a fun art lesson for everybody else. But she's now able a couple years later to use that as a tool for coping when things get tough. So it's a great way to not single out one kid, do mm -hmm. something fun that can be very, very applicable and practical at a later time. Oh, I love that. Love, love, love that. That's a great use for morning time. So if we if we have families of gifted kids who are like, okay, you've convinced me, maybe I should dip my toes <laughs> in the water a little bit. Are there, and you're familiar, I mean, you've heard me talk about morning time enough and you've done it yourself. You're familiar with what kind of your, your some of your standard morning time subjects are. So mm -hmm. uh, what topics do you think are particularly great for gifted kids in morning time? I mean, are there any that are particularly great or is it just pretty much mm -hmm. your standard fair raised to their level? Yeah, I think that um, I, I think, especially until they get into um into high school, well, even after they get into high school, depending on where their interests and their passions lie, those, like, if we're talking specifically content areas, you can easily do history and science and then the specials like arts and music and stuff long for a long, long time because we can watch a video on Curiosity Stream or watch CNN 10 News and talk about current events and apply those to what's happened in history and how, you know, those things correlate and go along or don't and are repeating themselves or whatever your your thoughts are, but you can get into some really great critical thinking discussions. Um, and then if you happen to have a kid who is like 
taking off in science and they no longer want those kinds of conversations. They want to dive deep into quantum physics or something. You know, you can let them go and not do those subjects anymore. And then you focus on the, the arts and poetry appreciation and music appreciation and stuff like that. Like we've been using, um, art history kids. I don't know if you're familiar with that yeah, membership, yeah. but mm-hmm. it's really wonderful. And, Every once in a while, my 17-year-old, while, you know, projects are beneath him now, um, he'll still come down and he'll kind of be interested in what we're talking about. And he might pick up, you know, some of the materials. He might not, but at least he's engaging in the conversation of it. But it's exposing the other kids to a lot more. So, you know, arts and music, things like that, um, histories and sciences, until you see that they're one of them or more of them are above. And then it's okay to do the other stuff and then let one of them go and then do some more stuff and then let another one go and then do some more stuff. Um, it's, it's okay to scaffold your morning time like that. But then the stuff that works forever really are the social and emotional things. The, um, the, the feelings and the empathy, like you alluded to earlier, you know, you can talk about feelings with your kids. You can talk about, um, current events and, and how that's, um, affecting your own situation versus your neighbors or, you know, in, in light of this pandemic, when especially in the beginning, we couldn't see, um, you know, aunts and uncles, um, great, and I'm talking great aunts, my kids, grandparents are, are their great aunts. And um, so they couldn't see like, you know, great aunt Judy, because she just went through radiation a couple months before. And so we were being cautious, but we were able to talk about those things. How are you feeling about it? What could you do? okay, well, let's, you know, do some of our art projects and send those over to her. And then she was able to Skype in a few times or, or Zoom in and um, they showed some of the stuff that they were doing. And then she, I don't know, bought a craft kit on one of her trips <laughs> out and sent that over for them to do to show her. And so there are, there, there's things you can bring in that work on the affect once some of the academic stuff starts to separate a little bit too much for you to have the kids together. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea. And, you know, it just, you know, we're talking about morning time with gifted kids right now, but they are still kids. Yes. And you still have the whole situation where, you know, uh, whereas morning time, some of the subjects in morning time, especially some of the beautiful subjects, some of the poetry, some of the art, whatever it is you might be doing, music appreciation is good for mom. You know, unless you have a child who's like a music prodigy who right. is just absolutely all could, could tell you a million different things about music, it's good for that child too. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the things that we do in morning time are not these, it's not mathematics where they might be advanced. Mm-hmm. They can appreciate it's, it's appreciation, so they can learn to appreciate as well, right? Um, right, we and we do some, we do a lot of um, you know, the reading together and the poetry together and things like that, whereas. You know, one of my kids has been, I think she came out of the womb writing. I mean, she's, she's a very good, good writer. And there have been a couple of times she's shown me novels she's working on. And at first, I don't believe her that she's actually written them. And so it is very tedious for her to do, to write poetry with her younger sister or brother, or um, even in some cases to discuss poetry. So those are the things I do with the younger two and move her on. Um, right. But she stays with us for art projects and music and we listen to things and she's a very good singer and she does theater, but she sits with us when we're talking about, 
you know, um, musical theater or, uh, or songs or the evolution of, I don't know, uh, how, how different movements of, of music have happened over the course of the years. And, and she can get just as much out of that. So yeah, those subjects are perfect. And like you said, they're great for me because I haven't studied them in that way right. sometimes ever and sometimes in a long time. So it's nice to have those connections with my kids. Do you ever have any of your kids teach something to the other kids during morning time? I don't because for my particular kids, that tends to cause problems. Uh, um, okay. It gets a little bit of bossiness. We've tried um, and uh, our personalities aren't such that they learn well from each other. They learn well together, but they don't learn well from one another. So I don't. And if, but if they want to learn something from each other, they will seek each other out. And when it's their choice, they're able to be okay with it a little bit. One of my kids sought out my oldest to teach her how to use Filmora. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, cause she wanted to edit some videos and iMovie wasn't doing enough for her. And because it was on her terms, on her timeline, and it was something she really wanted to understand, he felt good because he felt like the expert but she also felt confident asking him because it was her. If I had said, hey, come down and, and teach the kids how to do some video editing because you're really good at it and I know they'd like to do it, it would have caused contention and problems. So, But that's that's knowing your kids and knowing their personalities. I think that could be valuable for some if you have a younger sibling that looks up to an older sibling for some specific reason. Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, so what encouragement do you have for the mom who uh, has gifted and or twice exceptional children? And really, you know, a lot of times I have found moms fall in love with the idea of morning time. You know, it's mom falls in love with this kind of picture. And while we encourage moms to stay grounded and down to earth, you know, there's also this appeal of, oh, my gosh, I can get all my kids together and we can get some stuff done without Mm -hmm. everybody having to go their separate ways. So I would like to do this. So um, what encouragement do you have for them? Well, first, you're not alone. I mean, there's a lot of people out there. It seems when you're dealing with gifted or twice exceptional kids, you're dealing with a small percentage of the population. Um, So it feels like there's nobody else around you who has kids who are quirky like this. So if there's one thing that is that I would want everybody listening to go away from this conversation with is you're not alone and there are other people like you and your kids are not broken or wrong. They're just kids and themselves and who they're supposed to be. So remember that as you're going about doing it. And then to piggyback off of that, know that your morning time just might have to look a little bit different. It might not be something that you can do specific subject areas like we talked about. You just might need to do some more of the arts and um, you know the fine arts and the actual art and then music and Social reading and emotional, and, reading aloud, yeah. um, listening to audiobooks while you're snacking on something and drawing or, you know, creating out of polymer clay because somebody was interested in that. I mean, that's actually the kind of thing you're going to end up doing with your gifted kids, right? You're going to do, you're going to put on an audiobook or you're going to read aloud. And they're not going to sit still because their their minds are, are going still. So you're going to want to pull out Play-Doh or blocks if they're little or... Um, polymer clay. I mean, we did polymer clay recently because it's it's a really cool medium and it, it gives them something to do with their hands. 
so gifted brains are, are, are different. And if your kids are gifted, chances are one or both of their parents are gifted as well. And, you know, I know that this, this is something that I've struggled with. And it's always funny because people are, are more easily able to say my kid is gifted or my kid has this challenge or whatever than they are themselves. But I'll say this. I was identified as gifted. I am gifted. And when I'm working on a project or I have to focus on something, I have to have something else going on either in the background or with my hands, or I can't focus. I just finished writing a book, as Pam said in the beginning with my bio. And while I was in the heart of the writing, I had a movie that I've seen a million times on in the background because my brain would wander if there wasn't something for the wandering part to focus on. And a lot of our gifted kids are that same way. So if they're moving around or doing stuff, it's not that they're not focused and listening. They just need to listen in a different way. So don't get discouraged if it seems like they're not bought into it. They might be bought into it, but their bodies show you something different. And so be creative and try a bunch of different things. You can do it. And the benefits are are really incredible and give you a connection with your kids that you wouldn't have otherwise, especially if you sent them all off on their their merry way in the morning after, you know, your your morning coffee and their breakfast. Like pull them together and do these things and see what makes them tick and what helps them focus. I bet you'll be surprised later some of the conversations you have that you didn't think they even heard or understood that they're bringing up because they did get it and they absorbed a lot more than you gave them credit for. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times when we have kids who are capable of doing things on their own, especially their own particular little things, <laughs> yeah. you know, we we might miss some of those opportunities for connection. And so morning time is a great place to build some of those connections uh, mm-hmm. with our kids for sure. For sure. Well, Colleen, is there anything else you want to add? Like, like you're sitting there going, Pam totally missed the ball on this one. She missed this question. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this was, I think this was good. And I think that, um, I think that the only thing that I would want to add is that, you know, you know, your kid, you're, you're no matter what anybody says or what you've read, you are the best person to teach your kids. And if there is something in you that is saying that this, that morning time is a great thing for you to implement, trust that and trust yourself. And, don't worry if it doesn't look like your best friend at co-ops who does morning time too. Yours is supposed to look different because your kids are different kids and there is no prescriptive way to do it. It's it's all about who you are and who your kids are. And that's, I mean, perfect, right? God doesn't make mistakes. You have the exact kids you're supposed to have. You have You are the exact parent they're supposed to have. And so, your morning time and your homeschool in general and your parenting overall is supposed to look the way it's supposed to look because it's you. It's unique. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, we say that to to parents of neurotypical kids all the time. It's like Mm -hmm. your morning time is going to look differently for your family than any other family. And it's supposed to. Uh, And nobody can tell you that you're doing it right or you're doing it wrong. So, yeah. Exactly. Well, Colleen, thank you so much for coming on and chatting about morning time with gifted kids. Don't know what took us so long. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you. It was totally my fault. I admit it. (laughs) Well, tell everybody where they can find you online. Yeah, best place is raisinglifelonglearners.com. My podcast is there. Um, All the things that I'm working on is that's all there. Uh, you'll be able to find information about the book that's coming out and um, sign up for updates there. So everything is there. And 
yeah, head over and hopefully I'll see you and ask questions. There's a contact form there too, along with a voicemail widget. You can ask me any questions that you have about gifted kids. And I will admit, I don't get back right away because life with gifted <laughs> kids, but I, we get back to everybody who, who asks a question. So if you have specific questions about giftedness that you can't find on my site, then let me know. Yeah, always a great resource. Colleen always has a good answer and um, always inspires me too. So thanks so much. Thank you. And there you have it. Now, if you would like links to any of the resources that Colleen and I chatted about on today's episode of the podcast, you can find them on the show notes. And those are at pambarnhill.com forward slash YMB81. Now, also on the show notes is a link to Colleen's brand new Learners Lab at RaisingLifelongLearners.com. At the Learners Lab, Colleen is now offering monthly live lessons, safe conversation space for teens, and also social and emotional skill challenges for your differently wired kids. So I encourage you to go check out the Learners Lab at Raising Lifelong Learners, and we've got a link for you to do that on the show notes. Now, I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another great Morning Basket interview. Until then, keep seeking truth, goodness, and beauty in your homeschool day. Bye.